Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We were there last week. We're going back there today. Wherefore, laying aside, verse 1, all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, we used that as a text last week, talking about the effect of a pure word. You see, the word sincere means pure. It's unadulterated. It literally means that there's nothing mixed with it. And note the number of things that are said here. One, as newborn babes. That means God has brought us out of an other life that was doomed into his kingdom, but he brings us in without knowledge. We're babes. We know very little about his kingdom. We have to relearn a language. We have to learn his ways. But as newborn babes, he brings us out. This is our beginning. And as newborn babes, he said, we must grow. We won't grow if we don't desire his word, because the word desires almost means crave. Is seeing the great need for his word. But with the word, you grow. You become, by growth, what is described in the Bible that God wants from his people. I mean, this is what we're after, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Or as Paul said, we grow up into him in all things. God never leaves us alone. There's always things that we can grow up into, but this is what's required of us to grow. Then another thing he said there is that we must have the Word of God. Because without the Word, we wouldn't know if we were growing. We wouldn't know how to grow. We wouldn't know what our object is to grow unto. We would be left to just whatever we thought, as most Christians are today. But this desire of his Word has to be a desire for what he said without anything added to it. And I believe that one of the major, if not the main problems in Christianity in this century today and the last century is that so much of it that was intended to produce God's kind of effect is not producing that at all because it's been watered down, it's been changed. Wise, shrewd, clever, highly thought of, eloquent men theologians, whatever you want to call them, not all of them, but just enough of them have changed what the word says so that it now says what people like to hear and not what God said. But you never get what God wants that way. You get a lot of religion, you get a church full of doers and movers and shakers, but you don't get a lot of what God wants because you can't grow without a pure word. You just can't do it. So we said last time that a pure word is a word in which nothing is added to it. It's not compromised. It's not flavored with man's ways. It's not a Baptist word. It's not a Presbyterian word. It's not a Methodist word. It's not a Christian church word or a Pentecostal word. The word belongs to nobody. It is God's word. And as God spoke it, he spoke it with an intention that what it said, it is designed to do. He said, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. 
It shall not return to me void, but he said, it shall accomplish that which I please. Now, if we look around and we see that, well, it doesn't look like it's working, it's because it's been changed. God doesn't watch over man's word to do his work. God watches over his own word. You change it, he's no longer there watching over it to do it. People get frustrated then. They change their theology to fit their experience. Well, I tried that, and it didn't work. They're being talked out of their faith. They're being talked out of all the things, the wonderful promises that God made. Man has put a question mark where God puts a period. When they say, by his stripes you're healed, they say, well, we know that's not exactly true because we don't see much of it. And consequently, man loses his ability to believe that because he's been talked out of it. That's what an impure word does, and we're going to talk about that today. The effect of an impure word. Because this is how we grow. The pure word is how we grow. It's how we're purified. It's where our faith comes from. It's how our eyes are opened up to see. It takes a pure word. Now, when the word is impure, when the word is no longer as God said it, but it's altered, or it's compromised, or it's changed in some way, then it becomes something that doesn't work like it's supposed to. As I mentioned last week, the word sincere comes from a Greek word, A-D-O-L-O-S, adolos. And the word A on the front of that word makes the word dolos mean just the opposite. Adolos is pure without any mixture. Dolos, without the A on it, is a word from which we get deceit and guile and things that are impure. Dolos means pretense. It has to do with falsehood, something that's not clean. Dolos. And everywhere the word dolos is used in the Bible, it has a meaning like that. You even see the character of people like that. We would probably get that from the word hypocrisy. Now, the word hypocrite doesn't mean that. That word means play acting. But you play act with a goal towards achieving something that is false. Remember when Judas kissed Jesus? Y'all remember that? When he was in the garden and Judas was bribed so they could point out to the soldiers which one of these guys was Jesus? They didn't know. They didn't follow him. And so they bribed Judas, and he goes up to Jesus, and the Bible says he kissed him and called him Master and Lord. Things that we would say, amen, brother, that's right, amen, brother. But the reason he called him Master and Lord was so Jesus would think that he was sincere. But obviously he was not sincere. He did that for a price. It was falsehood. People do that all the time. We don't call it falsehood anymore as much as we should because so many people are like that. Christianity is, you know, it's just what we do. You don't have to be perfect. You just kind of do it. And you don't have to mean it. You don't have to follow all of this. I mean, we've learned to say, well, nobody can do that. I don't know who taught us this. But somebody through the years has come up with the idea that, well, nobody can do this. Nobody can live this way. Nobody's perfect. So we don't have to be perfect. Nobody can just trust God and lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. That doesn't work. And so people don't do it anymore. Churches have rejected that as a meaningful verse of scripture because they've been talked out of it. 
That's what guile is. That's what the word dolos is all about. It's a word which has to do with resting the scriptures. Look in Second Peter, just a book over, Second Peter chapter 3. And there in chapter 3, look in verse 16. You see the word rest, which will tell us something about what this word dolos means. As in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are, notice, unlearned and unstable rest. Let me ask you a question. According to one verse of scripture here, who is the type of person, religiously speaking, who would rest the scriptures? Those that are unlearned and those that are unstable. But what about men who rest the scriptures, who have degree after degree? How many of you know that having a lot of knowledge doesn't mean you have it right? You can have enough knowledge to pass a test and graduate summa cum laude without actually knowing a whole lot about what you're going to do. I have a college degree. <laughs> I do. I have a college degree. I don't have a bunch of them. One is enough for anybody. And I could tell you little of nothing of things that I learned in most classes. Some of them I still remember things, but my studies on Dr. Exelbert's class, not only did I not know much about what he was talking about, about history of civilization, but I couldn't understand half of what he said because he had a foreign accent. I think I got a C in the class, but I had good eyes. But anyway, the Bible says here that they rest the scriptures, and you notice how this verse ends, they rest the scriptures to what end? To destruction. What if I told you this morning in the beginning that when any person begins to take the word of God and attempts to alter it to suit his purpose or to make people comfortable or feel good and make it not say what God says, but make it say something else that doesn't have that hammer or that sword, two-edged sword, or that fire to it. It doesn't have that kind of effect anymore. How many of you know that I have just rested and opened the door up for myself to destruction? And that with all the other good things I might say and do in all the years you preach and all that stuff, when you preach it like that, it is quite possible that in the end when you stand before God, he would say, I never knew you. But Lord, look how many years I was this and look how many years I was that. Now, he doesn't say this in the Bible, but what if he said, and yes, the word you preach to people misled them and they were useless or vain to me. Now, is that possible? Because see, that's serious. That's very serious. An impure word is not going to bring us to what God wants. If the word is not clean, is not pure, if we add anything to it, then God will not watch over it to perform it. If we want God to do for us what he says in this word, then we have to be willing to take this word at what it said and add nothing to it, take nothing from it. It's not diminished by age or sex or anything, time. It is what it says it is. It will be that way always. It's when man begins to change it and begins to alter it. Because that's what the devil wants to do, is to alter it. 
Turn to Acts 13. Now, I hope you brought your Bible today because in a minute I'm going to ask you to follow me through several scriptures because I want you to see what an impure word does and how God feels about it. But in Acts 13, and look at verse 8. Acts 13 and verse 8. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them. Now, the next few words describes the work of the devil with anybody. Whoever, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Do you see that? Now, that's what the devil wants to do. Now, listen. If we change the word, then it no longer produces the faith that God gives. You have faith in something other than what God said. It sounds like what God said. It may be close to what God said, but it's not what he said. There is a way that seems right. There is a word that seems good enough. Don't people say today, well, there's churches on every corner. What difference does it make? That's what happens to people. That took a long time. Their ancestors to the next one, to the next one, down to them. You come to the place where there's nothing to it. It's no big deal. I don't need to be hearing this all the time. I don't need to be in attendance, and I certainly don't need to take notes. It's not important. It's just a word that people use in church to feel better about themselves. It's been watered down for generations. Churches have reorganized and they, and they use the word, but the word is no longer the essential thing. It's the system that's essential now. And they'll never change the system, but they will change the word. You'll never change the systems of man. You will never ever changed the systems of man. The denominational structures as they exist around the world will never, ever, by anybody or any word, will ever change. And all of them have set aside some portion of the word in order to have their system. I said it. Because I believe that with all my heart. There's too many people aimlessly wandering around in Christianity who really don't, after all these years, know what they believe. I think, who are you listening to? Who's talking to you? Who are you fellowshipping with? Whose favor do you want that you're willing to compromise what you believe? If what you believe came from the Word, that's the only thing you have to draw you to God. And you put anything between you and God and you change his word, he's no longer what he was. He's still there, but you're not. And Christianity is full of people. My dad once told me that he never read the Bible. I think the priest told him that he wasn't supposed to. He might get it wrong. He might have got some of it right. Can you imagine any system of religion that would deny the reading of the word to its people? I cannot imagine such a monster religion. I said it. My mouth actually said that. I don't say that to be mean. I'm just saying it's a fact. 
You look at people that stare at statues and somehow think statues can hear them. Yet God mocked that in the Old Testament. They cut down trees and fashioned it into some kind of a thing, some kind of a god, or they took the gold and stuff and formed it into some kind of an image and worshipped the thing. How foolish is that? And when the Word says you're not supposed to do that, then the system gets its own translation and alters what that says so that it doesn't say that anymore. And the whole caboodle of those people are headed headlong into destruction. Some of them escape, praise God. But how serious a matter it is that we not tamper with this word. The Bible ends with the word. If any man takes away from this word, God will take away from him with the book of life. You don't mess with it. You don't go from the left or you don't go to the right. That's what they told Joshua. Don't turn from it to the left. Don't go away from it. Say what it says. Paul said, preach the word in season or out of season. That is the only thing that God is going to do. You can't make him do something else because you have some clever slant. That's what he does. This is all we can be assured that God is going to do. He does nothing else but this. He watches over this word to perform it. So Elymas, the source, we haven't forgot that. Back in verse 8, he said he was seeking to turn away this man from the faith. Now, he would do that with words. Whatever these apostles were saying, he would say something else, something different. That's how you turn Christians away from the Christian faith. You say something different. Well, we know the Bible says that, but, and then we say this, don't you think? Then we turn to human reasonings. Or as we'll see in a minute, the Bible calls that fables. Man's tales, man's versions. The persuasions, the philosophies of man. And people love that. Jeremiah said, the priests rule by their own means and this and that. And he said, and my people love to have it so. Read it at the end of Jeremiah 5. He said, my people love to have it so. One of the great reasons for judgment on Israel was following falsehood. Following falsehood and worshiping idols. That got them in a lot of trouble. Then go to verse 9. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. This means he was anointed. His special unction came upon him for this particular moment. Filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes upon him, and he said, O full of all subtlety. Now, subtlety is our word dolos, guile, deceit, falsehood. This is what God would say to the devil and to the people the devil uses. Is there such a thing as an angel of light? Is there such a thing as men lying in wait to deceive? They're there. Who uses these men? The devil. You're going to hear them. Deuteronomy 13 says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams comes along and, whoa, because this is what people do in the last day. Wow. And they read the Bible, so it's got to be God. And yet what they preach is foolishness. And people buy it because they like the change. But he said, 
Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief. Mischief means to commit wickedness, to do something bad, theft. Thou child of the devil. These are those angels of light in 2 Corinthians 11 that Paul spoke of. Deceivers. Men who sound good and look good. Men who preach the pure word they say. Let me tell you something. All of you here, I've said it at least a thousand times. Let me say it a thousand and one. Don't believe what you hear in any pulpit, this one or any other pulpit, just because you heard it here and you think it's got to be right because it came where you go to church. You must search the scriptures and make sure that what you're hearing is true. Because God holds you accountable for what you hear, even as I'm held accountable for what I say. How many of you know that even though you may say something wrong through the years, doesn't mean you were trying to deceive people. You just didn't know any better. All of us have learned things that had to come back and go, oops, and be corrected. And say, well, I had that wrong. I need to come back and get that right. So you weren't trying to deceive. God knows our hearts. It's the people who just don't want this Bible to say what it says. Don't want to preach that to people for fear they might whatever. They might believe that and fall apart and it wouldn't work. They'd be disappointed. They'd quit and not come back and then we'd lose them. So let's don't say what the Bible says. Let's make it say something close and make them feel good about it. Come on. And he said that, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of God? I think down in verse 8, the word turn away, there's our same word as pervert. It means to turn away or to twist. We were warned. Paul warned the elders at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He says, after my departure, he said, shall there arise among you men like wolves. These men will rise up among you speaking perverse things. That's Acts 20. Paul said, after I leave, these people are going to come in behind me and try to change everything I've said. He fought this all through the epistles. He says, I come along preaching the word. Then these super apostles, they come along and they distort everything I've said. And you love it. He said in Galatians, he said, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And that's exactly what an impure word does. It bewitches. The devil doesn't walk into a church with horns on his head. He puts a tie on. Now, I know a lot of people don't wear them today. Do what you want to with the tie. But he can clean up, shave, shower, put on a tie, have a King James Bible, and bewitch you. Holds you in the palm of his hand. Some wonderful message that, oh, man. Some of them are that good. 30 years ago, they were that good. You have to be careful. Who hath bewitched you, he said. These men come along behind him and rested the word, sought to gain the favor of these people. And he said, they speak perverse things to draw away disciples after them. They get themselves a little following. How do you get a following? Well, 
not by preaching the word, because if you preach the word, it'll be only God who will add people to it. You wouldn't move a long way to come here to hear some of this. I came here because somewhere, wherever I was, the word was no longer pure. And I knew sitting in the Christian church that what I was hearing was not the way God said it. And I could not sit there and expect the blessing of God to come upon that congregation. And I want to be where that works. But I knew it wasn't there because he's not going to bless that. Things were beginning to change. Things were heating up. And we had to leave. I came here. I went somewhere else before I finally got back here. And I assumed that you came here too because where you were, it wasn't what you were looking for. It had to be better than that. Didn't have to be perfect. It just had to be something I didn't have to fight every day I went home after church. I don't, man, why these, I can't. You didn't have to do that. You can walk out that door as I prayed today. Everybody that walks out of here this morning will have something in their heart to deal with that God has put there. Now, I, see, I have to believe that God does it. So I can't do that. And I've learned this too, that if you want a big church, you're going to have to leave a lot of this out, leave a lot of word out. Because people didn't come to hear the Sermon on the Mount. They came to hear about the stone was rolled away and walking on the water and so forth until you begin to explain what that means, and they don't like that either. But this is what he said in Acts chapter 13. Now, I want you to follow me for several verses of Scripture here to show you this morning how... A pure word, when it's contaminated and becomes an impure word, what it does and how God responds to it. I want you to follow me. Turn to Isaiah 29. Isaiah 29, because this is so easy to happen. This happens easily. Isaiah 29 and verse 13. Wherefore, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and shouldn't we? Do we not sing with our mouths? Last time I looked and watched and heard and did it myself, my mouth was very active in my Christianity. So with my mouth, I worship the Lord. I sing songs. I say, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah, with my mouth. So, this people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me. How would you do that? You say the right things. He's all I need. The joy of... I mean, we sing the right words. Whoever wrote them down either quoted them from the Bible or they confirmed the Bible. And we sing those songs with our mouth. But here's what God says. You're doing that. You're doing that. But here's the problem. They have removed their heart far from me. What does that mean? They have learned how to do it, but they don't mean it. Are you with me? You're singing songs without even realizing what you're singing. You're just singing songs because you're a religious person and you are supposed to sing, and this is what we do in the system here. We call it that. Well... They remove their heart far from me, and their fear or respect toward me is taught what? How? By the precept of men, which means this. Somebody must have cleverly said, look, God knows our hearts. 
He knows you've had a bad day, a long day, a difficult day, and not feeling good today. And God knows that when you sing these songs, you know what they mean. And so you don't have to always close your eyes and concentrate or think about what you're saying. And you don't have to do that. Just sing the songs. It's all right. God knows you don't have to be so serious acting and sober about this. So what happens if you believe that? It's nothing more than him singing. It's nothing more than song leaders singing songs, and we just sing songs, and we sit down and hear a message. Songs meant nothing because our heart embraced nothing. We did not sing as unto the Lord. We just sang because we go to this church, and that's what we do here at this appointed time in this service. We just sing choruses, occasionally a hymn. But our heart's not in it because maybe somewhere along the line, maybe you talked yourself out of it. Maybe we have watered down the word for ourselves. Maybe we have convinced ourselves it's no big deal. I mean, some days you got it and some days you don't. As one person told me years ago, well, I'm not going to go in there and raise my hands and be a hypocrite. I just don't feel anything. I said, if we all live like that, we never would praise the Lord. It's a sacrifice of praise. It's an offering that you give unto God, whether you feel like it or not. Whether you want to say you don't enjoy, it doesn't say enjoy. It says it, offer it unto God. But when you don't do that anymore, when that's not the cause or the purpose in your heart for singing or for leading in singing, the song service, when it's no longer governed by our response to God's grace and favor, our love for what we have experienced all these years, our thanksgiving, when we no longer have that as a purpose in our singing, then all we do is mouth a few songs with our hands in our pockets and wait for the sermon to start. And I don't think God inhabits that. Well, do you believe, Brother Hamilton, that every time we come together, we're supposed to have a robust song service? I don't think there's a thing wrong with that. <laughs> I remember to go back in the old days at the old Clay Street Church downtown. In the summer, you had to raise the windows up, and the people would gather across the street. They would come out of those apartments and sit on the rock wall to hear us sing. We made a racket all the way up through the neighborhood. Nobody called the law and talked about disturbance. These people's hearts were void of anything that had long been taken from their heart, and there might have been a sprinkling of hope in somebody, and they sat there, they probably heard these things. Who knows what the Spirit of God said to any of them? Our song was a testimony. He put a new song in our mouth, even praise unto our God, and the psalmist said, Many shall see it or hear it and shall fear and shall trust in the Lord. But if we've talked ourselves out of that, if that's no longer any big deal to us, either you've talked yourself out of that, or you've allowed somebody else to talk you out of that, or you have lived by assumption, well, I assume that you, know, you don't have... If you start living like that, 
then you have, in effect, you've watered down the word because it's no longer a sacrifice of praise. It's just a, oh, he's all I need. He's all, no, he's not. No, he's not. If you listen to what you're saying, you might go, he's, oh, ooh, he's what I need. It could be a moment of conviction like that. But this is what happens when you begin to ease up and give in and let things happen and let things slide. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 9, he says, this is a rebellious people. Let me read verse 8 because that would apply to us. Now go and write it before them in a tablet, in a table, and note in it a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever. Well, that would apply to us. That this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, the one who should be teaching it or preaching it, which say to the seers, see not. And to the prophets, prophesy not unto us right things, Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Get you out of the way. Turn aside out of the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to cease from before us. And he said in verse 12, because you despise this word. Let me ask you a question. What was here in what I just read, Isaiah 30, what was the complaint of the people? Wasn't the word too much of a hammer, too much of a two-edged sword? Man, I hear the word of God is cutting me on the inside. I can't sleep at night. It's called guilt. Guilt comes as something that God puts in the heart of man to make him aware of the fact that he is wrong and God is right. And you can't get rid of guilt by doing anything except turning to God and asking for forgiveness. That's the only way you get rid of guilt. Put a gun to your head, you'll be guilty in eternity. So he said, and he said it plainly, he said, because you despise this word, you don't want to hear it anymore. It's costing you too much. It lays you bare. It's, it's sort of... Whew, makes me just, oh, God. Well, I tell you what, it's supposed to. That's what the Word of God is supposed to do to anybody that's not living in harmony with it. And when you don't want to hear it like that anymore, I don't mean we try to come here and be drilled every week. I remember we used to get that bag of tapes every month back years ago. And every tape was like a little sword. You knew when you put it in there and turned the thing on, you were going to suffer. But you didn't dread that. You assumed that you needed this because there was so much in my life that God wants to change. The only way it's ever going to change is for me to know what he wants me to change into. And somebody, please, somebody out there, tell me what the Bible says. Please make me aware of what God says. Don't spare me. Don't court my favor and think that you have my favor and you're going to get more money out of me if you don't preach the word of God. Don't do that. Just tell the truth. Say what God says. 
If you can't say that, then get out of the way and let somebody else do it. Get out of the way and let, let somebody that has a heart for this do it. I don't care what you were trained to do in some school. If you don't want to preach the word, get out of the way. People's souls are at stake. People's lives are in the balance. No wonder God says you're going to suffer the greater judgment if you're a teacher. And God help you if you mislead people on purpose. Because all their souls you've got to give an account for. You know, if one of us are going to cry in eternity, you cried or I cried, I would rather you cry than me. I'd rather cry now than to cry later. I'd rather you cry now than to cry later. I'd rather you stomp out that door and slam that door and come back next week crying. Then you just sit here and say, my, my, I feel so good about my sin. I mean, myself this morning. That doesn't get you in heaven. That won't make you the kind of person God wants you to be, to feel good about yourself or water things down. Turn to the book of Jeremiah, the next book over. Look at chapter 23. Because what I'm describing is a church that has become vain. Vain. Jeremiah 23 and verse 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, hearken not unto the words of the prophet that prophesy unto you. What do they do to you? They make you they make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not of the mouth of the Lord. That is an impure word. If we said nothing more today, you've heard it. That verse of Scripture describes it as well as anything, anything else I could say. They do not say what God says. They speak a word of their own heart. And because of who they are or who they're reported to be, people believe it because of who they are. They're followers of people. Look at verse 26 and 27. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. What will happen to the people who listen to them? Let me tell you something, folks. The spirit of the preacher will greatly lead you in your life. Or what he is, you'll become. If he's leading you in the paths of righteousness, then righteousness will be yours. If he's misleading you, you would be misled. I don't care how thoughtful and caring you were. They are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Verse 27, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams which they tell, every man to his neighbor as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. And in verse 29, that verse again, is not my word like fire? Does it not burn when it comes in? Is it not also like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Look in chapter 26. Chapter 26 and verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, Hamilton whoever he is, wherever they are. Stand in the court 
of the Lord's house and speak unto all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. Now listen to this. This is what we're called to do. Tell the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. Not a single word. Diminish means to cut short or to trim or to withdraw. Not a word. Don't see the people flinch and groan when you say something that God says. Maybe about a head covering. And you know that some women don't like the head covering. It's not stylish. It looks like some kind of a potholder. And visitors come in might think you're really, ugh. So, you know, rather than heed what the Bible says, you don't want to wear the thing. So, knowing that, say this to the people. Now, we know the head covering was worn in the early church, but now, you know, this is a new age and a different time, and I don't think it's necessary to do that anymore because name a church except for the few in the world. Christian church that would preach the head covering. You won't find hardly any. Because it's so distasteful. And women don't like that. And so because of your fear, I guess the fear of women. Ooh. They leave it alone so women won't get mad. See, the world will come to an end if women get mad. (laughs) Or you can just say what God says and let God deal with women. Because not all women are like that. And you know that. To diminish it means you just leave that part out. And yet, the reason it's in there is because it is a sign. It is a testimony of a woman that she recognizes the role of her husband in the home, and she willingly submits to that. And she does that because the Bible said there are angels present, and they're called ministering spirits in Hebrews 1. And they come to minister. And perhaps the reason a lot of ministry doesn't take place is because of our willful rejection or ignorance. We've been so long without anything happening like that, we just don't believe it happens anymore. When's the last time you saw a tooth fixed, an eye, an ear, or a limb? Or when's the last time you ever saw anybody get out of a wheelchair? So we just reject the fact that that is what we're supposed to believe because we've never seen it. We change the word. If the preacher preaches, no, the word says, we get upset because he disagrees with us. Oh, the state of the church today, I'm afraid if God were to open our eyes to see it, we would be, oh, we would be like that. Go to Ezekiel. It doesn't get better. Chapter 22, we've been here many times. Verse 26. Her priests have done violence to my law. They have violated my law. What does that mean? Does that mean that they have altered it, turned against it, rejected it, set it aside, or saying something different than what it says? That's what it would mean. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned my holy things. Maybe they have profaned the sacrifices, like in Malachi. You know, the sacrifices, it's blood makes an atonement. So an animal becomes a substitute for man's sins. 
Man is sinful. He cannot offer himself to God because he's a sinner. So he selects an animal that's examined for its purity, and the animal is offered in the place of a man, showing what the substitutionary atonement was, that an innocent lamb takes the place of you in offering, being offered to God so you can approach God. Because the Bible says you approach with an approacher. You have to come to God with something between the two of you. Now that Jesus is a mediator, we don't need a lamb anymore. He said, her priests have violated my law. They said, like in Malachi, they just killed an animal. They'd go out there in their lot and get, it doesn't have to be a perfect lamb. It may be a little sick lamb. Maybe it's a broken leg or it's about to die. And before it dies, you want to offer it because it's still living. A live animal, blood, blood. And God said, that's not the kind of offering I want. Who told you to offer that to me? Well, obviously the priest didn't tell them they couldn't. They saved the good stuff for the parties and for the big sale. And they offer this infirm stuff to the Lord as though he would accept it because, come on, after all, this is what church folks do. Come on, they don't give their best. You know, after all, we're just human. (laughs) You know what God said? He said, offer that to your governor. He comes to eat, and you're going to bring this thing in here. Stuff falling out of his mouth and gross all over it and legs broke, and you're going to offer that to him as a banquet? He'll rebuke you and leave. And yet you thank God because you, his concept of God is that he just loving and understanding and nothing bothers him. You can offer that to God, and it's okay. Who taught us that? The priest. The prophets. They got so far away from God, just like religion has today, that they don't believe anything anymore. We call it liberalism. They're not against anything. They don't disbelieve anything. It's terrible. And so we said in verse 26, he said, Her priests have violated my law. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. Neither have they showed difference between the clean and the unclean. They have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. There's no difference between the clean and the unclean. There's no longer any difference between a homosexual in the pulpit or a homosexual church that because of the concept of God is only love and anything you do is okay because God of love, God of love tolerates anything, including sin. Women preachers, you know, they can preach in pastor churches. A lot of them do today. The guy I got saved with, his wife pastored. I couldn't believe it, but, it, you know, I thought, how do you come down to that when the Bible talks about that? I mean, the husband of one wife is one of the requirements of a pastor. Maybe she's married to one wife. I don't know. How do you do that? Women aren't inferior to men. A lot of women can explain things every bit as well as men can. But God's the one who said that when it comes to preaching, it's a man's job. Seek ye out men. Husband and one wife. Head of his house. His. Gender. He. His. How did we get the other thing? Because somebody reinterpreted what God said, and it no longer said what God said. It says what people make it to say. That's called an impure word. That's why God isn't in the congregation. 
He doesn't bless sincerity. He blesses his word. He watches over his word, not your good intentions. See how ugly and mean that sounds to some people? Oh, you. We call it this. Hopefully, we have no right to compromise in any way, in any form, the word of God. If we want his presence, if we want his grace, his favor, then we must do it his way. At the expense of whoever's feelings, my job, the distance you have to travel, whatever you have to do, you do it. Because the only word that God watches over is the word that he gives as he gave it. If you alter that and you change that, you're in the wrong place. I can't believe I said that, but I did, didn't I? I did. And I won't take it back. I believe that. What about traditions? How do we get all these traditions? Turn to Matthew 15. What about traditions? Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1, 1 through 6. This is still in the Bible. I heard years ago that there was, I heard this, I haven't seen it, but there was a Reader's Digest Bible which eliminated a whole lot of it and left just the parts in there that, were important. <laughs> like what part's that? What man is so clever, so inspired of God, that he can take what God gave once and for all time and remove the parts of it that he esteems not necessary or important and give the rest of it to us as important? Who is such a man? Who is such a man that has to correct what God gave? This man was not sent from God. These men, if it was a group, they weren't sent from God. But there are people who laud such scholarship. Some of these newer translations say just about anything. Because men are changing as much as they can to corrupt the word so they can turn you away from your faith. Well, Matthew 15 and verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your traditions? They have made the word of God impure by something they esteemed more important. See, traditions were the verbal law, they would call it. The things that God said to Moses that weren't written down, the verbal things, they were given to generation after generation. They became laws, like washing of hands before you eat. The Bible doesn't say that, but it was the oral traditions that said that. And they put more on that than they did what God said in his word. Verse 4, Jesus didn't. Verse 4, for God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and thy mother, and so forth, down to verse 6. Honor thy father and thy mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. That's what an impure word does in anybody or anywhere it is allowed to be and accepted as impure. That's what it does. 
It makes what God said of no effect because you change it. Let me tell you how serious this is. If it says what it says and we change it for some reason so it will be better accepted, it won't do that anymore. Not save, not heal, not deliver. The only thing God said he will watch over to perform is what he said. Psalm 26 said the words of the Lord are pure words. They've been refined seven times. Couldn't be any more purged of anything. The word of God is pure. There is nothing added to it. It is exactly free from any drossy matter. It has no mixture in it. That you put anything else in it. And God no longer does what he said it would do. Now I challenge you to examine that to see if that's true. Whatever we change... Whatever part of this book we alter, God no longer is obligated to do what it originally said. He doesn't watch over my word to perform it. He watches over his word to perform it. That's why my faith is in his word, not in my good intentions. That's what he said. And also, when he said that you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your traditions. He is saying here that man love traditions more than they do the word of God. They love traditions. They love our system. That's why the system will never, as I said earlier, the system will never change. If you've witnessed to very many people in your life, you've come across somebody that says, well, I'm a Catholic or, well, I'm a Baptist or I'm a whatever they are, which means I don't know what you're saying, but I don't think we believe that. I don't think that's the way we believe. And we believe some other way. If you look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the last days, these things are going to happen. For the time will come, verse 3, the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers Having what? Itching ears. Having an itch to hear something pleasant. That's what one of the books said. Having an itch to hear something pleasant. Is the word of God pleasant to you? Do you not with a heart that you want to do right, even though you realize sometimes you need to make some adjustments. Is this still a word that was designed to change you? Therefore, it's a good word. And when it changes you, it changes you because it was a pure word and you accepted it. And God did that. He doesn't change you because the word is altered in its form or anything else. But he said, having itching ears, they will turn aside their ears from the truth and will turn aside unto fables. Fables is essentially a fabrication of man. It is man reinterpreting the Bible or man interpreting the Bible to make it say it differently than what God said it. Therefore, you don't have to do a lot of things the Bible says. 
head covering. You don't have to do that. I mean, your friends, you hang around. They don't do it at their church. There's more of them than there are here, so why wouldn't they be right more than us? But bad company does corrupt. But there are just a lot of people who have been allowed to see things their own way, do things their own way, and they get contaminated. But see, the devil has to have this mindset to contaminate you. You've got to want to change. You've got to want something different than what God says. Do not people attend churches looking for something they like? I'm looking for a church. What are you looking for? Well, I'm looking for one that they give a list. They're not looking for one that's going to be a hammer. They don't want to have their headpiece hammered every Sunday. Or Wednesday, you have to hammer them on Wednesday to keep them awake. They're not looking for fire. Most people aren't. You know why you came here? Because you didn't mind that because that's what brought you where you are and is bringing you where you ought to be. I just think that a whole lot of people need to stop and think about when God brought me here or there, wherever God brings, puts people today, up there, out there, down there. After the time you've been there, can you look in the mirror and say, I have grown? My worship for God has been intensified and pure. My personality is now geared to seeking the favor and trust in God. Have I, after all the time I have been wherever I am, am I better off now than I was? Has this word affected my money? Has it affected my marriage, my fatherhood? Has it affected me here? Has it affected you where you work? Is your testimony known? Has this word had such an intense play in your life and you haven't run from it or rejected it, but you've allowed it in there and it's transforming work in you? Do people know this? Are you fair and honest? Are you a deceiver? Are you deceptive? What's happening to us? An impure word will seek to turn us away from the faith. It won't keep us from going to church. It won't keep us from tolerating an hour and uh, one minute of preaching. It just means that we will either let somebody else talk us out of it, we'll talk ourselves out of it, and we'll go out there, and the Word of God will not have that sting, that conviction, life-changing sting to it. And the sad thing is, you wander off one day into a place where there's nothing. Look how many people today boast of being non-charismatic. Look how many churches today boast of the fact that, well, tongues are the devil. Or the biggest church in the area, we won't have that stuff here. Do you think they would listen to you and you say, but brother, sister, whoever's talking, the Bible said these signs shall follow them that believe. It speaks right off the bat of they shall speak with new tongues. What are you going to do? That Well, the new tongue. Now, here's how you change it. Here's how the word becomes corrupt. 
Well, the new tongue means uh, a new way of talking about Jesus. Tongues? For we know not how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You tell me not to do that? Well, that's just some kind of a deep groan. Have you ever done it? No. Would you want people in your church to know you did it if you did it? No. Then you try to talk yourself out of it. You hire a preacher that tells you that healing is not for today. They write books. And they call the health and wealth gospel of deception and heresy. To be healthy and to do well or prosper, have more than you need is heresy. They're heretics. The whole bunch of them. They're all heretics. I said that too, didn't I? You know, we have shied away and tried to be Mr. Nice Boy and Mr. Nice Girl all these years and let people somewhat ridicule our beliefs. These things to me have become essential, absolutely true and necessary and vital in my life. Praise God for my health. I praise God for being well all these years. I praise God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, a baptism which Jesus says, John baptized you with water, I will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. And on the day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues when he sent that to happen. And that's not for today, you're not for today. You have corrupted the word, and the whole gang of them, churches that are sitting there, without any deep interest in whether or not that's even true, just assuming that, oh, this is what our system says. It's what I believe, like my daddy. How tragic it is when the light that is in you is darkness. And your whole body, the whole body is full of darkness. How tragic it is because of the deceit, the persuasions of men that have turned people away. They're anti-Sermon on the Mount. Oh, that's not for today. Read the Sermon on the Mount, and you know why people don't want that to be for today. They say it's for another age, another time. They don't want that to be for today. And when they do have to teach on it, they have to change it and say, well, we know it says that, but. People don't want to believe today that marriage is permanent. That a vow is a permanent thing. You make a vow in marriage, you are married. And then people write books and churches have little groups where that's trashed. If you don't like this one, get another one, the guy used to say. And if that doesn't work, get you another one. It just take what God said and it is meaningless. It's falsehood. And they change it. And yet they keep witnessing and talking about Jesus and loving God and, oh, praise the Lord, oh, how I love Jesus. And while they're out there, they're against essential doctrines. We think, oh, they're singing beautiful. They must be Christian. Well, listen to what they teach. It's what the Bible teaches us. Listen to what they're saying. And see if they speak according to the word or not. We're afraid this take stands against politics and lying, and most big churches today are political. Believe in voting. The whole church is built like a political system. 
It's not governed by the word of God. The government of most all churches is governed by statutes. The government says, if you do it this way, we will allow you to deduct your donations. And we say, you can keep your donations. We're not going to be governed by anybody. God said he would supply our need. Only God can open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you. The government won't do that. It's too tight. But God will. It's just a matter of whether you want to do it God's way or the world's way. And how many people are anti-faith? Faith. Faith to most people is the brand of religion you're in, whether Christian faith or the whatever faith or the Baptist faith. Method. You know, faith is a word that identifies your system. It's not a way of life. It's not how you receive anything from God. It's never been taught. And if people do teach it, it's because of a book they wrote that talks about the error of the faith message. I've got those books somewhere. And I think these people, these clever, educated people, trying to gain the respect of the intellectual community, I don't know what they're trying to do. But they're talking people out of the very thing that God is wanting them to have. Remember the Pharisees? Turn to Matthew chapter 23 and verse 13. Chapter 23 is not a nice chapter for Pharisees, legalists. But it's in here for us. Woe unto you. How many of you know the word woe means your outcome is not very good? What's coming to you, you won't like any. But because you made the choices you've made and you're living that way, you get a woe. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Whew. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. And notice, here's what the impure word is, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and uh, what's that other word? Faith. These ought you to have done and not to leave the other undone. You should have gotten it all. The whole counsel of God. Woe unto you. That's what he said. You have omitted the things in there that are probably more essential. It's not that the things you were doing, you shouldn't do. You should do that. But these things here should have been added. The weightier, weightier matters of the law. He said, these things you should have done also. In Luke 22 and verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Whether it's tongues or healing or deliverance, everything except Super Bowl Sunday. Some of the biggest churches that are hardest on some of us are having a big Super Bowl parties today. Big screen in the big room. Woo! And we're wrong. Mm. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither allow ye them that are entering to go in. Who is talking people out of their faith? The people they're following. Who's talking people out of their faith? The people they're following. 
That's who they're following. And in verse 16, Woe unto you, you blind gods, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, it is everything. And then he goes on to say from that, verse 23, he just calls them Pharisees, scribes, and hypocrites, whitewashed tombs. He just lays it out there. All these people that are following you, are following you and the way you're teaching and interpreting things. And because you're a bunch of hypocrites, you're going down. And everybody following you is going with you. Because they think you're right. They don't know for themselves. They haven't checked out the scripture. They just think that whatever you said is right. And they're following you. And they're going to perish. Do you think that's tragic? See, we have it in our mind from somewhere. Well, it doesn't have to be true. I, don't th I think God still sees the heart. I don't think everybody's perfect. I don't think anybody's necessarily perfect. And I think some people, you know, they mean well. Well, I still think that you live by choices. I do think there have been exceptions down through the years, years ago, before the good light of the 60s came. There were people who were tolerable and tolerant and, and did well. I'm not God. I can't judge all those people. But I can say today that people who distort the word are deceivers. And a person who follows a deceiver because he's counting on the deceiver's words to be right, he will follow him into his doom. Amen. Now in closing. In closing, I want you to turn to Psalm 106. Beginning in verse 12. They believed his words. They sang his praise. That's got to be good. They believed his words. They sang his praise. But alas, the next verse says they soon, they soon rejoice in the promise to come. It said they forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the deserts. And he gave them their request, but what? This is where the church is now, as I close with this. And he sent what into their souls? Leanness. He sent leanness into their souls. The word means weakness. Spiritual weakness, spiritual frailty, spiritual deterioration. That would be the way the Hebrew word for leanness is described. They heard his word. They sang his praise. But after a few years, they forgot what they'd been taught. Even when you retaught it, they don't remember it. Maybe they were distracted. Some kind of an idea, a word, theory, something came in and changed their, their way of life. I've got to close with a verse that says that. Can I give you one more verse? I think this is important. Colossians 2, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. Rooted and built up in him, 
and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. How could you get away from that? Did we start there? Those of you that have been here for 15 years, have we been there? Those of you that have been here for 30 years, didn't we start there? What could change it? What could settle us back into something less than we once were? What could change us? Would it be verse 8? Beware. This is spoken to the same people that are rooted and grounded and seated with Christ in heavenly places. Beware lest any man spoil you, rob you through philosophy and vain deceit. Philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the ways of the world, and not after Christ. Let me leave you with this. When because of whatever you begin to gravitate back to something better, easier, more satisfying than God. When your hope is no longer in the Lord and his ways, but you start looking for the worldly comforts, the worldly securities, the worldly whatevers. Things that wiser men than I, smarter men than I would teach, the men who write books, the philosophies, of men whose teaching amounts to vain, useless dolas, useless deceits. That's what you get. And not after the rudiments of Christ. He said, you should be beware of that. You should, I should, we all should. If they speak not according to This word, they have no light. But if I receive what I'm calling light from somebody who doesn't speak this way, what I'm receiving is not light. It becomes darkness. Amen.